This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not bad at all, mate. Not bad. You? Yeah, all good, thank you. Another action-packed weekend of Championship action, as, as you were just saying to me, we've got Feels like a lot has happened since we last hit record last Sunday, so plenty more to get our teeth into after another jam-packed weekend, which I'm looking forward to for the next hour or so. As always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you to go and check them out. Big thank you to them, as always. We really appreciate their support. And on today's podcast, as always, we'll be breaking down another jam-packed weekend of championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now, George, plenty uh, of potential starting points, but the running order has dictated we're going to start at the Stadium of Light, where... Burnley, not top of the championship, but the most noteworthy result of the weekend, I think, given the context where a second half comeback saw them score four times and come from 2-0 down to beat Sunderland 4-2 away from home. Stunning comeback in truth from the Clarets and it really was the the archetypal um, game of two halves. Sunderland far the better side in the first half. Burnley pretty abject, pretty tepid, it has to be said. 2-0 down at half time and then... Clearly a, a rocket from Vincent Company and three goals in 19 minutes. The best of those from Zuri, uh, who's been in great form in the last few weeks, scored last week, of course, in the 4-0 demolition against Swansea, which we spoke about. We highlighted him. He was really impressive again. He scored the, the, the pick of the goals before Josh Brownhill made sure of the result in the 89th minute with a good counter-attacking move. Vincent Company said that the first half was everything he hates about football and the second half was everything he loves about football, which I think is probably the best way of summing up how this game went for Burnley. Really good reaction, though, nonetheless. It shows how, in some ways, reliant they are on some players. I know it's Jack Cork, Jay Rodriguez, both left out of the starting lineup for just in terms of rotation and resting them, keeping them fresh. They just don't carry the same sort of threat, particularly without J-Rod. Uh, Manuel Benson came on as well at half-time. He was a half-time change, and he looked really bright and helped turn the tide, uh, getting one of the goals as well. So, one where the squad of Burnley certainly showed. Sunderland were good first half, but I think quite clearly when they're missing their best two players and when Burnley uh, got the depths they have to call upon on the bench, that, that once they got a rocket at half-time, clicked into gear, a pretty stunning comeback. A remarkable comeback. And I'll be honest, I, I had a sneaky suspicion that Sunderland were going to give them a bit of a run for their money on Saturday. I actually backed Sunderland on my, uh, on my coupon on Saturday. And, you know, I was all smiles at half-time. It was looking quite rosy and quite prosperous. And, you know, Sunderland, by all accounts, from what I was seeing on social media, were really playing some really nice stuff and Burnley were completely off it. And then, like you said, a rocket arrived at half-time. It seems from Vincent Company, it was a completely different ball game in the second half. But I think this shows, as you've said, the, the quality that Burnley have got about them, the fact that, you know, we've been a little bit critical of Burnley recently in the fact that they've been the ones struggling to hold on to leads where in this instance, they're the ones that have fought back and completely fought back in devastating fashion. And it's now nine goals they've scored in three games, let's not forget. 
you know, they really are starting the teams to in the championship turn heat up. down, we could expect to go and score four exactly. in the half. I, I don't think so either. And, you know, when you come out after the start of the restart, get a goal back within five minutes, it lifts the whole squad, it lifts the fans, it silences the home fans. And, you know, from that moment onwards, you felt there was only going to be one out because Burnley got the tails up. And we know what quality they've got right throughout the team. And I think the nice thing for Burnley at the weekend was, aside from, you know, Nathan Teller's goal, few different names that we've not seen on the score sheet a lot recently. Obviously, Josh Brownhill started the season really well, but goals haven't been quite as fruitful recently. But, you know, Benson's a Rory with an absolute beauty. You know, there's so many options Vincent Company's got right through that squad from back to front. You know, they just look a threat in every area of the pitch. And, we, you know, we were slightly critical, were we, towards the end of the transfer window, a question where the goals were going to come from for Burnley. Jay Rodriguez, admittedly, obviously didn't score, you know, on, on Saturday. But he's been brilliant so far this season. But when you've got players that are chipping in, it's one of the luxuries that you've not got to worry about. And Vincent Company clearly has said to his players, you know, after that run where they were only struggling one or two in a game, scoring one or two in a game, I should say, since that, you know, that 1-0 win at Coventry a few weeks ago, they scored four against Swansea and now four against Sunderland. So, you know, there's quality and abundance right throughout that team. And of course, let's not forget, it keeps the long unbeaten run going. That's the thing. They've only lost one in 16 games so far this season. That is a remarkable effort. You know, we're not a million miles off the halfway point of the season now in terms of games played. And, you know, if they've only lost one out of 16, it's looking really encouraging that they could bounce back at the first attempt. So, you know, a very different kind of Burnley win at the weekend, but one that featured lots of quality, a lot of character as well, which is important for Vincent Company to have discovered about this team. And at the end of the day, if you can, you know, keep an unbeaten run going like this in this division, you're going to be at the top end of the table come the end of the season. And they're looking a really good side, Burnley. And Vincent Cumbry, you know, drafted in a plethora of new signings, completely different style. He must be absolutely delighted with the way things have settled down. It's been a remarkable start for him. And like you said last week, I think if you finish above Burnley, you're going to get promoted because they look the real deal. I think you're absolutely right when you look at the squad in terms of goals. I think Joe Rodriguez, obviously, there were some question marks in terms of he's not scored many goals in recent Premier League seasons, but at championship level clearly is a cut above. Ashley Barnes has not really had any luck this season at all. So you need your wide players to be reliable and chip in with at least five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten goals apiece, really. Nathan Teller's mm. well on the way to doing that. I think he's up for up to six now, maybe, six. for the season. Six already. He's, he's had one behind start. Rodriguez. Exactly. Zaruri's getting on the score sheet in the last couple of games. Benson, when he's playing, is making an impact. Bettino, um, I completely forgot about this until you were talking a minute ago. Scott Twine, I completely forgot yeah. he played for Burnley. He's not Exactly, that's yet, the so thing. They need those uh, players from, that are playing behind the front kick. three. Yeah, they need those players that are playing behind Jay Rodriguez, those those three in behind, Brownhill included in that, to, to keep chipping in with the goals. And that's where they'll, uh, that's how they'll, they'll get the results and that's how they'll make sure that they're right up there come the end of the season. I do feel a little bit still for Sunderland. I know the the form's not been great recently, but you know, having watched Sunderland firsthand on on Tuesday night against Blackburn, they're a decent side. They're just lacking a focal point and, and a striker. Even just having one of Sims or Stewart back would make a big difference. I thought Jack Clark was electric on on Tuesday night. I thought it was brilliant. But the problem was he was playing up front and therefore not in the game when he when he was drifting out wide on, and particularly onto the left hand side and running at Ryan Hedges, who was the right wing back on the occasion. He looked dynamite. And if you've got a, a predatory six-yard box striker stood in there like Stuart or Sims, 
they'll get a hatful. So I'm not worried about Sunderland right now. I think once they get the strikers back, it'll definitely help. And let's be fair, if you take strikers out of anyone's team, they're going to struggle. Exactly. I mean, we could, you know, you could reflect on many, many scenarios that we've seen in football down the, down the years at all the levels of the game. And you think back to Liverpool a couple of seasons ago when they were absolutely decimated at the back. Look at the impact it had. If you lose key players, you're going to see an impact. So for Sunderland, you know, I think Tony Maru rather experienced this at a time where he's without his key players than when he's got them. But once they're back, Sunderland will be fine. Let's not forget, looking at the bigger picture, yeah, they'd be disappointed that they blew that lead on Saturday. But the 14th after 16 games newly promoted, it's been a solid enough start. So I think that, you know, there's, a, there's only one way Sunderland are going to head once they get Ross Stewart and Sims back. Absolutely. Queen's Park Rangers, George, they sit top of the championship after a good week for them. Surprising defeat last weekend, which we covered, 3-1 at Luton Town. But back-to-back home wins, obviously not the story of the week in the land of Queen's Park Rangers because Mick Beale rejected the opportunity to move to Wolves this week. Great, great loyalty, which is something we don't see a lot in football. I think a lot of fans particularly like the interview that he did after turning down the Wolves job, explaining it. And this quote has been regurgitated plenty and stood out. But just for those that may not have seen it, I've asked people to buy in and I can't be the first one to run away from the ship. That pretty strong message. And naturally, you're going to have a boost from that no matter what. So the likelihood of them winning the, them winning the, the following weekend game was pretty high after beating uh, Cardiff in midweek. They were helped by a very questionable red card in the Cardiff game, which then got overturned for Simpson, I will add. But good again to beat Wigan. Again, without Chris Willock, which is starting to become a little bit of a concern because... We've waxed lyrical, but we would be doing it every week if he was available every week. Wigan will kick themselves, really, in this game that two minutes after getting the equaliser through Nathan Brohead, they then concede from a corner, Balogun heading in. And one of the most unfortunate shots of the season, George, I think, an overhead kick from Josh McGuinness at 2-1, comes off the bar, rolls down the angle, off the post, and away to safety. Good win for QPR. They sit top of the championship and a really positive week with Mick Beale committing his future to the club. Yeah, massively. So let's start obviously with with on the field matters, and you know a massive week for them. Like you said, obviously that kind of an out of sorts defeat at Luton last weekend, and we know every team in this division is entitled to an off day. And QPR have showed the the character and the ability to bounce back. It's now three home wins in a row. They've won five of the last six. You know they've only lost one, I think, of the last eight games now, and they really are. You know, the, the the longer this sequence goes on, you're starting to think, could they genuinely be contenders for the top two this season? And the way things are going with the sense that, you know, everybody seems to be up and down at the minute. Nothing seems to be settling into a real rhythm. I think QPR have got just as good a chance as anybody. They're playing some really nice football and it's only been boosted by the fact that McBeal has decided to stick around. You know, Cardiff and, and Wigan at home, when you're changing promotion, no disrespect to those two teams are, are teams you would expect to beat on your own patch. Absolutely. And, you know, but at the same time, they could easily be potential banana skins. But QPR have come through both of them by an aggregate score of 5-1. So a perfect week for them. But for Mick Beal, I just want to say about him, I mean, when the story came out that Wolves were interested, I think we all thought at that point, we know what's going to come. Wolves have been really knocking on the door for quite a few candidates. They've reached desperation point. They desperately need something to come off. And, you know, nine times out of ten, when a Premier League club comes calling for a championship manager, they go. Higher salary, you know, all the luxuries and of the Premier League. we shouldn't blame them when they do that either, given how no. volatile you know, the market is in terms of no, their security as well. It's ridiculous at the moment, the way things have gone this season. 
But QPR, I mean, they should feel, you know, they should feel honoured that McBeal's decided to stay. And like you said with that quote you've reeled off a few minutes ago about him saying that basically how can he walk away from something when he's been so big on saying everybody needs to be part of this philosophy? How can he be the first one to walk away from it? So huge respect to him for that. And I think QPR fans have only, you know, going to raise their respect levels for him by, by deciding to stay. You know, Mick Beale came into this job as a complete unknown. We didn't really know much about him. QPR fans won't have known much about him. I've seen so many comments about him in the last few weeks saying what a top guy he is, brilliant manager, so trustworthy. They can sense that the players are really enjoying playing under him. And, you know, if you've got the players buying into what he wants, the fans are loving every single minute of it. It's only a recipe you think for success. So, you know, QPR have been a team in the last few years that have, you know, just fallen short of that playoff race. They've been knocking on the door. They've not been too far away. But this year, I think they look the real deal. They really do. I think the recruitment in the summer, although there wasn't much of it, to the truth be told, I think was smart. I think they nailed the signing of Ethan Laird from Man United. Pal on the other side has been really good. Tyler Roberts has been has certainly played his part. You know, there's been so much to like about what they've done. And Mick Beale, it seems, is just the perfect fit for the way that they want to play, the way the players are suited to his style. And, you know, with the run that they're on at the minute, the top of the league, obviously joint top with Blackburn Rovers, you know, the longer they stay there... Can you be joint the... top? Ooh, I'm not sure I'm having, I'm not having that. Well, you, you, can't joint, to... you can't have joint top. Well, they are joint top. Blackburn are joint top. Blackburn are oh, not joint God. top. They are second in the league. They are joint top on points. We're going to have to argue about this later, aren't we? Well, I don't remember Manchester City, you know, sharing the Premier League title with Manchester United because they finished on you the same know points in, 20, mean. in 2012. You know what I mean. At the minute, they're joint top. Obviously, they can't share the title. So, are you, are you actually backing out that Blackburn aren't going to win the title? I'm saying they're not currently top of the league. That'll do. That'll do. I'll let you have that one. But no, let's be honest. Going back to the original point before you uh, interrupted me. QPR looking very, very good, let's be said. They're, they're flying at the minute. They, they really are entertaining to watch as well, I think it must be said. And like you said, without Chris Willock, makes it all the more impressive. They're proving that they're not a one-man band. There's a lot more to them than that this year. And Mick Beale deserves enormous credit for what he's done, as well as deserving a hell of a lot of praise for deciding to stick around. Absolutely. I think injury is just a big is the, the thing that's most likely, I think, to undermine Queen's Park Rangers and potentially having people poached, players, managers. I think those are the biggest dangers to, to Queen's Park Rangers, really, but certainly a great start to the season. The The team in second, George, joint top of the championship is Blackburn Rovers. They beat Birmingham City 2-1 at Ewood Park for their third consecutive championship win. The, uh, the win-loss rotation well banished many moons ago that that sort of run three in a row now for Rovers the perfect week nine out of nine five in a row at Ewood Park as well second in the league on goal difference it's been a fantastic week I have to be honest it was another game that was quite even probably should have been a draw on on reflection and Blackburn Rovers were simply better in both boxes which is how you win football games pretty much if we're being honest the the better teams do that. The first goal, lovely, lovely move. Great switch of play. Tyler Morton overlapping in, in sort of that under-right channel or underlapping, I should say. Lovely ball across the box and Sam Geller tapping, it, tapping in for his fourth of the season. 
Sam Gallagher has been a really big revelation, certainly in the last couple of weeks, or certainly in the last seven days, to be honest. He's been crucial in Blackburn Rovers' free victories. And it's no surprise to me that he is now playing more centrally because of the change of shape. They've gone to 5 3 2. Three central midfielders, two strikers in Burton, Diaz and Gallagher, rather than playing with a false nine, which wasn't working. They'd not found someone to fill that spot, whether it's Smodix, whether it was Dak earlier in the season, whether it was Ryan Hedges. Um, playing 5-3-2 is a much better fit. Getting Gallagher more central is, is so important because he's a good player. He's a real nuisance and a handful at championship level. He's strong. He's quick. He can lead the line. And the goal he scored on Saturday is a goal he just would not have scored two weeks ago because he would have been the one crossing the ball. And he is not a winger. He has not got the technical ability or natural skill to be a wide man. But he's a powerful runner with the ball, very much like Brereton Diaz. And having those two in the the right and left channel, but with a bit more freedom to move centrally, it's miles better. It suits them more. It stops them getting overrunning midfield. And Gallagher has been a real plus point for me in the last week. It's something I've been crying out for since the start of the season to see stop playing Gallagher on the wing. He is not a winger. Mowbray used to do it as well. Thomason's been doing it. I don't understand it. And, you know, without blowing my own trumpet and saying I told you so, he's been brilliant in the last seven days because he's been playing in this more central role closer to Burrett and Diaz. And, you know, if you look at this Blackburn team, there's not that many guaranteed goal scorers. So you've got to get the most out of the ones you do have. And, Sam Gallagher playing centrally is a goal scorer at championship level. He was fantastic. Uh, first senior goal for Adam Wharton as well, worth noting. The star of the show, I'm sure people will remember from the Blackpool game that was televised by Sky. He got his first senior goal, but the star of the show was Thomas Kaminsky. Four absolutely superb saves at 1-0 from Scott Hogan, at 2-0 from Scott Hogan, and 2-1. Uh, from Juninho Bakuna. And then the best of the lot, a late header from Lukas Jukovic. Cat-like reflexes, tips it round the post. And I haven't given a, a 10 in my player ratings all season, but Kaminsky got one because he won Blackburn that game. It absolutely did. Um, I don't think, you know, a lot's been made of Blackburn being second in the league, their underlying numbers, the fact they're running hot. I, I've seen every single Blackburn game this season apart from one. I don't think they're the best team in the league, but they are clinical in attack. They defend really well, particularly when they've got in front. You know, they've they've won every single match where they've scored first this season. And even when they're under pressure, they're holding on in games. You know, you think back to the Millwall game a couple of weeks ago. They Birmingham threw the kitchen sink at Blackburn. And despite having a 17-year-old at centre-back, despite having a 22-year-old at right wing-back, despite having Tyler Morton in central midfield and Jake Garrett in central midfield, they held on. I think the average age was something like 22 of the finishing team in the championship. And they've shown this season with seven wins out of nine, they are definitely a match for anyone at Ewood Park. Without a doubt, the home form has been, you know, it's been sensational, hasn't it? The fact that they've turned Ewood Park into such a fortress and an arena of dominance, if you like. You know, you almost expect Blackburn almost now at home to be a home banker. I think it's reached that stage. You expect them to get the job done. I'll be honest, I backed them to win on Saturday on my on my coupon, even though I was brave and went for Birmingham as my shock on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I always expected Blackburn to win that game. And at home, you know what you're going to get from them. Almost similarly to Millwall, who I think have got an identical home record to Blackburn so far this season. But like you said, Blackburn, you know, they're not the most luxurious pleasing on the eye team in the, in, in the league. They're not. They don't play the best football. But like you said, 
they get it right in both boxes. And that, that is how you win football matches. And the, st- the statistics don't lie. In England's top four tiers this season, only Plymouth Argyle have won more league games so far than Blackburn Rovers. So, you know, Yondal Thomason is doing something right. They're into double figures of wins now. So I think Blackburn, you know, at home, you know what you're going to get from them, don't you? They're, they're a good side at home. They've proven that so far under Yondal Thomason. And we were talking about, weren't we, prior to that win at Middlesbrough last weekend, we were saying about, obviously, if they could just sort things out away from home, they, they will be up there this season. And having, you know, got that win at Borough, folded it with back-to-back home wins against Sunderland and then Birmingham, there is a really good feeling around the place at the minute. And like you've said, if you can get it right in both boxes, you've got a good chance. Because I always think Blackburn, even though, like you've said, to be fair, haven't you know got a, a plethora of reliable goal scorers within the team, they've arguably got, on paper, the one of the best strike forces in the league in Brereton, Diaz and Gallagher. When they're at the top of their game, there aren't many that can match them, in my opinion. And I think Blackburn as well, they've got one of the most exciting youngsters in Tyrese Dole. I know he's not, you know, getting as much football as he probably would like, but I'm a big fan of him. And, you know, if John Dole Thomason can just take it one game at a time, I know it's an easy thing to say, but keep just keep the momentum flowing, particularly with those home games. Blackburn have got a really good chance of being in the mix this year. For certainly the playoff places, maybe even the maybe even the top two with the way things are going in the championship at the minute. But I look forward to their next four fixtures sort of thing. And, you know, they've got Hull away. Then they've got Coventry away, Huddersfield at home, and then Burnley away, and then we pause to the World Cup. So you know it's it's two it's three away games of the next four. This could be a real indicator of where this Blackburn team is at, and they're not easy away games either, especially that one with. Burnley. I don't think I, I don't think they're horrible away games either, though. They're not horrible. Coventry will be they're tough. Not, they're not easy. Hull won't be easy as well with their recent upturn. Mm-hmm. So you just don't know. Anything can happen in this league, but you. You know, you look at that game against Huddersfield on bonfire night and you, you would think that is a, you know, nailed on three points, you would imagine. I know, obviously, the championship can spring a surprise, but I think for Blackburn now, if they can get to the World Cup pause from their next four games, having taken a respectable amount of points, I think they're in with a really good chance of going all the way this season because, personally, I think they've got the credentials up top to really hurt teams when they put their minds to it, so... Interesting how they're going to go on, but like we've said, they've been up and down in terms of their form, but over the last week they've shown a real level of consistency. Three wins in a row. The only disappointment will be, I think, for, for Yondal Thomason will be the fact, of course, that they've only kept one clean sheet in those three games. So that's maybe just something they've got to look at. Just got to arrest that a little bit. But overall, you can't complain. It's 10 wins out of 17. They're the only championship side to have got into double figures for wins so far. Yeah, really good start for Blackburn Rovers. Perhaps one of the surprise results of the weekend, George, as we dip into a couple of the derbies. Watford 4, Luton Town nil on Sunday. Very weird week for Watford. Uh, a very good win over Norwich, a very good win over Luton, sandwiched with uh, a filling of a dismal 3-0 defeat at Millwall. So not the nicest of sandwiches, but a very strange week, which probably sums up where we're at with Watford right now, where... Game to game, we're not really that sure what we're going to get. Generally better at Vicarage Road, but they've not exactly been sparkling there either. Not a home banker by any means. They were clinical in this match. They pressed high and they took advantage of some woeful Luton errors, it has to be said. The, the third and the fourth goal in particular, even Horvath with a, just a horrific pass, which gave a, an easy goal. And then the fourth one, robbed in midfield, counter-attack, easy finish. Watford were pretty devastating and, and this is a good sign of what they can be. 
consistency is going to be the, the problem and that's what Slavan Bilic has got to try and get to the bottom of and having a bit more of a backbone away from home because the results on the road have been pretty dismal this season. But weird game. It's one of those, I feel like Luton do throw in one of these performances and one of these results every now and again. You think they got battered, what was it, 7-0 uh, against Fulham last season as well, even though they finished in the top six. They do throw in these odd results where they just get absolutely hammered. I will note that they, they, there was a couple of tactical changes. Didn't have Henry Lansbury, who's been really crucial for them in this in this uh, this run of results that they've been on. He was out, I assume, injured. He wasn't in the matchday squad. So maybe lacking his his quality on the ball to control proceedings in central midfield. Um, but I thought Watford were really good, really aggressive, pressed high. Keenan Davis looks like he's getting fitter and stronger with every game, took his goal very well. And... Yeah, just a very strange result from a strange football team in Watford. Yeah, they're certainly proving that, aren't they? They're proving a little bit odd in the sense that they're brilliant at Vicarage Road. Then they go away from home and seem to stutter. I mean, the fact that they've only won once away from home this season tells your own story, doesn't it, to be fair? But like I said, after that win over Norwich last weekend, obviously prior to the Millwall defeat in midweek, Watford have got such a luxury of talent at the top end of the pitch that, you know, on their day, are the best attackers in this division. So if they're, you know, up and at it, they're going to hurt anybody at this level. Ismail Assage or Pedro both scored in the game against Luton. You know, they're, they're players that can hurt you. And Keenan Davis as well is coming on strong now since coming in alone. So Slavin Bilic, you know, scoring goals for him shouldn't be a problem for this team. And they've proven that against Luton. It's just the fact that they've got this inconsistency where they go away from home and just seem to freeze and don't really have an answer to what's put up against them. Obviously, 3-0 defeat at Millwall last time out away. Then a 3-1 defeat to Blackpool prior to that. They lost at Blackburn. You know, it's been a really patchy start for Slavin Bilic, hasn't it? It's three wins and three defeats from his first six. You know, it's it's not brilliant, but it's not disastrous. That's the thing. But obviously, there's such an expectancy at Watford with the players they've got, with what the ambitions are, for them to be winning every game in this league. That is the expectancy of the, of the owners there. So... Watford now have got to use this to, to their advantage. Don't get me wrong, it's a brilliant way to bounce back from the Millwall defeat. They couldn't have wished for a better response. So that's good. It, it clearly shows that Village has got, you know, character and strength within the squad to bounce back from a quite a mauling in the week. Just the challenge is finding that level of consistency. But that's what all 24 managers in this league crave, isn't it? Everybody wants consistency. Everybody wants to win every single week. So that's what the challenge is for Watford because the talent is undisputed. The talent is there. The ability to win games is there. It's just a case of stringing results together and finding a degree of consistency. But as for Luton, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a curveball in what's been a really good run lately. It's brought their unbeaten run to an end. But I think if, you know, being honest, if you'd have offered any Luton fans six points from QPR, Norwich and Watford in eight days, they'd have snapped your hand off. And two of them were away yeah. from home. A brilliant win at Norwich in the week. You know, so three points from Norwich and Watford away. It's it's not exactly too bad going, is it? They're still in, you know, they're still in the mix. Still had a very good start to the season. So for Nathan Jones, I think it'll just be a case of pick the lads back up and prepare for the next game because I don't think there's any reason to panic. They'll be disappointed that they've lost in such a, you know, bit of a hammering way. Obviously, a bit of a derby game as well. But I don't think there's any cause of panic because they've gone to a place like Norwich and proven what they're capable of. They beat QPR last weekend, so we know what Luton are all about. We know what they can do. I just think it's one of those days where, on the day, things didn't quite go right and they were beaten by the better team. Simple as that. There's no there's no reason for any sort of panic at all. 
Slight blow for Watford as well that we should touch on. Um, Imran Loser's going to be out for a couple of months with a broken leg and with the industry. In- with the injury Hister stained against Norwich last weekend. So that's a bit of a hammer blow for him because I was certainly liking the look of him and I think he had quality in possession yeah, in that right. central midf- midfield area that perhaps Chowdhury and Kayambe or cleverly whoever wants to play in there perhaps doesn't have. That's a bit of a shame. Um, second derby, Swansea City 2, Cardiff City nil. This one spoiled pretty early on by what can only be described as a brainless red card by Callum Robinson. Just idiotic, no other real word for it, picking up the ball and throwing it in the face of Ben Cabango, who made the most of it, it has to be said, but it's just a stupid thing to do in a derby game where the referee's already going to be on red alert. You're an idiot doing that seven minutes in, just completely wrecks Cardiff's chances of getting a really positive result. And Swansea were dominant from there on in and just controlled the game, got the couple of goals, lovely finish from Molly Cooper, who come Continues to have a great breakout season. Uh, boyhood, Swan fan, brilliant scoring the derby. Fans are loving him. He's a manager's dream, Russell Martin said. Great strike for the opener. One of the most bizarre handballs not given ever with Cedric Kipray. How on earth? So for anyone that's not seen it, it's across from the, the left-hand side, the Swansea left. Kipray goes to head it and he just punches it instead. Like He just punches it. And you can see Re- Darren Bond, who was the referee, knows something's happened. He knows what he's just watched wasn't quite right, but he doesn't know why it's not right. And somehow Kipre gets away with it. It was only a small reprieve, really, because Swansea continued to dominate the game. Great finish by Michael Obafemi for the second. Lovely sharp pass from Matt Grimes, who at the minute is playing out of his skin. And Luke Kundal getting plenty of praise as well from the Swansea City fans on loan from Wolves, playing in one of those two number 10 roles alongside Cooper behind uh, Obafemi on this occasion with with Joel Perot obviously suspended after his red card at Burnley. Really good result for Swansea. Idiotic performance and red card from Colin Robinson and Kit Prey and pretty much they were pretty much done after that that red card seven minutes in. They were it spoiled the game in terms of Cardiff you know having been able to have a real good go. But I watched this game while I was working on on Sunday. I watched it in its entirety. And I must be said, I was impressed with Swansea. I thought they played really well. I thought they were on the front foot. I thought they wanted it more than Cardiff did, even though, to be fair, it's hard to gauge that when Cardiff obviously went down to 10 men so early on in the game. But Swansea were, you know, they were by far the better side. They 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 played with a real swagger, I thought, at times. You could sense that the confidence was there. And let's not forget they've been on a really good run lately. Obviously, we've not spoken about them since that 4-0 defeat to Burnley. Last weekend, they responded in the week with a come-from-behind win against Reading. And it's just kept a really good run going. They're up to fourth now in the table. You know, they are in a really, really rich vein of form, Swansea. I think it's six wins in seven games now. And I think the thing that will please Russell Martin most about that game today was the fact that it was their, it was their first clean sheet since mid-September, since they beat Hull nice. in that, that comical game with the... Uh, the best Hull City defender we've ever seen in our lives. But, you know, that that's a step in the right direction for Swansea and they've got to take encouragement from that. You know, I just think with Swansea, like I said at the start of the season, you could tell us last season that the progression was there. They were beginning to adapt to Russell Martin's demands, adapt to his way of playing and what he wanted. And I think we're now seeing that they are going to become one of the real packages in this promotion race this season. I think they've got it in them. I think they've got the quality, you know, throughout the team. Michael Obafemi getting a goal today, that'll be really, really important for him moving forward because 
you know, he's not been as fluent as he would have liked. Ollie Cooper's got two in two now. So, you know, Swansea have got goals in the team. If players can perform consistently and the results prove that they are performing consistently at the minute. So they seem less reliant on Perot and Oberfemi. I think last season yeah, we saw definitely. them as the Perot and Oberfemi team, particularly once Oberfemi got fit, whereas I think they've got more strings to the bow this season. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, just reel off some of the names that have scored in this good run. I mean, you've got Ryan Manning, Kundal, and Chams popped up with a couple of goals. Ben Cabango's got one. Cooper's chipping the with you. Harry Darling's got two, I think, in his last four games now. You know, there's goals from all areas of the pitch, and that's a really good sign for Swansea. And I haven't got the stats to hand, but I would actually like to check where they actually rank now in terms of the side that's had the most goal contributors so far this season. I would imagine they are certainly your home the top this weekend. It, it will be. So, after Bristol City won last week, have conceded right. 101 goals since the start of last season prior to their... I'm going um, to do this every week now. I'm going to set you a new task. I'm going to have to come up with some for you then, aren't I? I'm going to have to think about no, something. I won't do it. Will you not? No. Disgraceful. Are you one of them bad kids at school that were always in trouble for not doing his homework? No, I just do what I need to do and move on. Work Fair work enough. smarter, not harder. Fair enough. But no, I think for Swansea, you know, there's a lot of optimism to be had around there now. They've won the South Wales Derby for the third time now since the start of last season. Certainly got the bragging rights in that part of the world. And for Russell Martin... They, they are looking the real deal at the minute. They, they look confident. The fans are clearly behind what they're trying to achieve. And like you said, perhaps the biggest takeaway of all for them at the minute is they are not as reliant on Joel Perot so far this season. Obviously, we want him to score goals. We'd love to see him bang them in like he did last season. But I think when you've got goals coming from all areas of the team, that's only going to support Russell Martin's philosophy and, and make him believe that his team are onto something. So for Swansea, you know, one of the informed teams in the league at the minute, up to fourth in the table. Only three points off the summit. You know, they've had, they've had a very good start. They're looking a good side. Perhaps the most informed side in the division that right now, though, George, is Millwall. Four in a row for them, and they beat West Brom 2-1 at the Den. They look a, a completely different team to the team that I saw get beaten against Blackburn. That They were awful. They were. I would say Millwall are the worst team I've seen this season in the Championship play Blackburn. And they're obviously changed the system, they've gone to a 4-2-3-1, got an extra attacker on the pitch and they look miles better for it. Uh, obviously, we've, we've been talking about Fleming's form, Volk Slam has been very good as well. Uh, Bradshaw got a hat-trick in midweek, which is good for him. And they had to come from behind in this one, of course. Uh, John Swift opening the scoring, Callum Styles getting an equaliser and then the second half was really Millwall battering the, the West Brom goal, trying to get a breakthrough. Bury had a, a goal ruled out for offside. There was some more last-ditch defending. Kyle Bartley got sent off. And just when you thought West Brom were going to escape with a point, Tyler Bury pops up. Well, I'm not really, it was a really weird goal. I, it, like, it looked like it rolled in and I was expecting to have been a, a wicked deflection, but it looks like Alex Palmer just went the wrong way. It was a very yeah. strange goal. It, I was expecting to watch the replay back, given it didn't exactly fly in. And it, it took a deflection. But... Palmer just seemed to be very easily wrong-footed and they have really suffered from not buying a goalkeeper to replace Sam Johnston in the summer, haven't they, for being completely truthful, uh, West Brom. And they're in dire straits, really. They're, they're close to the bottom of the league. You only need a, a Huddersfield win and they would be rock bottom. And they're in desperate need of some direction. Looks like Carlos Corbran's going to get the job and be appointed, which I think is a good decision. 
Am I necessarily thinking it's going to mean instantly they're going to be have an upturn in form? Well, they, they probably will have an upturn in form because they can't be much worse. But I don't think him coming in instantly will make them, you know, top six challengers this season, for example. They're that far behind. I think Corbrand's a very good coach, but it does take time for his methods and his ideology to get through to the players. We saw that at Huddersfield. They were awful in the first year. And without a pre-season... When you look at some of the players in the squad, do they have the mobility in central midfield with your Kuslu, Livermore? Mm, probably not. You're probably looking at someone like Malumbi who might be a better fit, Gardner Hickman. So I think it's a good appointment, but it is one that will take a bit of time. I don't. I've, obviously, there'll be a, an uplift because West Brom could be you know, the, the second worst team in the league pretty much right now. So there will be an uplift, but I don't think enough so that they'll be anywhere near the top six. But then again, the division's that tight, so who knows if they get a good run together. But I think that would be a really good appointment for West Brom. Desperately need some direction after getting rid of Steve Bruce. But more importantly, big win for Millwall, four in a row for them. and They're into the playoffs and up to fifth, which, you know, if you told me the Millwall were going to win four in a row after they lost at Blackburn, I'd have said absolutely no chance without some major surgery. The change of system has clearly helped with that and uh, they look at a lot better side. They certainly do. Something, you know, Gary Rowett has got tune out of them rapidly, haven't they? They've really turned things around and what a successful week it's been for them. But like I've always said, if Millwall have got a home game, they've got a good chance of getting three points on the board. And I always fancy them to beat West Brom, to be honest, with the, the form the Baggies have been in. But like you said, they, they've changed the shape a little bit. They've adjusted things and it, it's clearly working. It's benefiting Millwall. And Millwall have a tendency to be able to string these run of results together. I think last season... In about February, March time, they went on a run of about five or six in a row where they threatened to get into the playoffs late on. So they've got an ability to do this, Millwall. It's just a case of how much longer can they keep this up. And when you look at the league table, now Millwall have won more games than Sheffield United. They've won more than Norwich. They've won even more than Burnley have now. So, you know, it's been a remarkable transformation in the blink of an eye from them. And for Gary Rowett, he must be really, really pleased with the transformation that's occurred so quickly because, like you said, it's all come as a result of a of a quick change in type, in the sense that he's changed the system, changed the fresh approach, and it's working. Because Millwall, you know, when you look at their team, the recruitment in the summer was very, very good. Fleming came in. This, this was part of, if you remember when we discussed Millwall a few weeks ago, and I was saying about Rowett, and, you know, I didn't think he'd taken them as far as he could take them, but the squad all of a sudden was a lot better than he was used to. And I think yeah. normally he's had to be 3-5-2 because he needs to defend first. Well, actually, you've actually got a lot more attacking quality than you oh, used definitely. to. And a bit of depth that you can call on. Benica Fobe, um, George Honeyman, uh, Tyler Bury, all on the bench. You can call on those as well. So, actually, you can afford to have an extra attacker now because you've got a better quality of player. Yeah, the recruitment was very good in the summer. There was a lot of smart smart work done by the recruitment team there throughout the, the transfer window, obviously. Obviously, Fleming was the big-name signing. We've seen a lot of good things from him in the last few weeks. Tom Bradshaw got a hat-trick in the week against Watford. So, you know, there's a lot to like about Millwall. And the question is, can they sustain this run of four successive wins? And, you know, like I've said, they've got a tendency to be able to do this, to be able to spring this sort of runs together. And you look at their next run of fixtures. They've got Huddersfield away. Then they've got Birmingham away. Hull at home. And then Preston away. And then we're at the World Cup pause. That is a real opportunity to lay down a marker. I mean, Huddersfield away, that, you know, Millwall have got to look at that and think that's got to be three points. Obviously, it's not going to be easy. No game in this league is easy, but that's a real opportunity. Birmingham away won't be straightforward, but Hull at home, 
you know, that's an opportunity. But the big test in Millwall is three of the next four are away from home. If you factor in the game after the World Cup restart, four of the next five are away from home. So that's the thing that Millwall have got to show. We've seen, obviously, that they've not been as good away from home this season. The home form is, un, you know, you can't criticise an ounce of that. So this is where the big challenge will come for Millwall. If they can perform well on the road, they've got every chance of being in the mix this season because their home form, you know, they're guaranteed to pick up points at the den. We just know it's become a staple of, of championship life in the last few seasons. As for West Brom, Carlos Corbran seemingly coming in. I I think it's a good move. I think it's a wise move. Something had to be done sooner rather than later. It's nearly a fortnight as we record this and Steve Bruce was, was given the, the boot. You know, it, something had to be done, didn't it? Sooner rather than later. They... Obviously, we spoke last week after that win at Reading, produced a brilliant performance. It proved to be nothing more than a flash in the pan. Lost twice since then, disappointing home defeat to Bristol City, defeat at Millwall. It's clear that the players are in need of a, a fresh set of eyes, a new voice in the in the changing room to, to guide them. So, Carlos Corberan is a good, good shout. I think it's going to come off. But like you said, Carlos Corberan is a man that needs time to implement his ideas. We saw that at Huddersfield. But if he goes in there, like managers have in the past with a magic wand almost and get an instant tune out of players. With the way the league is bunched up at the minute, there's nothing to say West Brom can't go flying through the gears and up the, up the ladder. We saw it last season with Nottingham Forest. It's not impossible, but we are a month later than when Steve Cooper came into Forest last year. So Even when Wilder be, came in, though, there was a natural difficult. uplift with Middlesbrough. I just don't think through you'll get that same Probably impact. not. Immediately, not, where but Borough should have finished in the top six and Forest got promoted. I just don't think you can't get any worse. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's the thing. West Brom, you know, they've got the personnel, certainly in attacking areas, to hurt teams. Jed Wallace, John Swift, Colin Grant, Matt Phillips obviously scored at Reading last weekend. They've got a lot of experienced quality in there. They should be doing better, regardless of who's in the dugout. So the players have got to look at themselves, no doubt about that. But, you know, a new manager coming in. Looks like it's going to be Corbyn is is desperately what they need because you know at the minute they they are sleepwalking into League One it seems because they are in a real mess. There's no point saying the West Brom they'll get out of it. You know those around them have picked up points in the last few weeks. West Brom haven't, so they're in great trouble and they've got to turn things around really quickly. Otherwise, you know they could be genuine relegation contenders. Blackpool 4, Preston North End 2. This was the early game on Saturday in quite a fiery affair at Bloomfield Road. Jerry Yates is in the form of his life, isn't he, George? Absolute He's on fire, that man. Brilliant. He's superb. He has been Three absolutely sp- fantastic. Three Saturdays in a row, he's bagged a double now. Yep. He's, What's he's his favourite drug? Could it be a whiskey, hasn't it? I'd imagine. Could it be a double? I think he's a VK, man. You reckon he's a VK? No, I think he was drinking uh, passion fruit, apple and passion fruit J2Os because that's the life that he leads because he needs to be in top shape if he's going to keep scoring all these braces. But in all seriousness, Michael Appleton's side cutting loose at the minute, looking dangerous in the final third. And that's not something I thought I was going to say a month ago because that's been the big concern for Blackpool, isn't it? Scoring goals, creating chances. Charlie Patino's been an instant hit with the Blackpool fans as well since signing on loan from Arsenal only endearing himself further with a, a great goal on Derby Day to put them in front. Um, it has to be said, Preston didn't defend very well and there was a, a crucial four-minute part of this game where Greg Cunningham came off with an injury at, at left centre-back and then 
Patino scored four minutes later, and I think that really rocked them. Both of Preston's goals were from set pieces, a really poor piece of defending from Marvin Ekpatek, who's not had a good couple of weeks after getting sent off very stupidly at Bramall Lane, missed the midweek game against Hull, came back into the side, and then just was never getting the ball as he brought down Reese Jakobsen for, for the penalty. And then obviously a, a header from a, a set piece from Chad Evans. So still not cutting loose, Preston. And I, I just thought they were a little bit lacklustre in that second half. In that, I think for, for an hour or so, they were well in the game and played quite well. But I think that final half an hour, as I say, when Cunningham went off and, and Patino scored, they, they were just a bit tepid. And it's not what I'd expect from a Ryan Lowe side. I'd expect him to get a team well up for a derby. Although they were decent for an hour. So maybe... Maybe just a bit of mental resilience. I expected a little bit more. Blackpool, well deserving of their win. Lovely composure from CJ Hamilton as well to, to wrap up the points with Freddie Woodman well out of his goal. 4-2 victory on Derby Day. Yeah, the dream scenario, wasn't it, for Michael Appleton? And, you know, I think the weird thing with Blackpool is they've had some really good results in the last few weeks, but they don't really seem to have gone anywhere in the league. They don't seem but to have moved. They've had some weird results, like losing at home to Hull, which I was. That's the thing, isn't it? They've lost, they've, lost, they've lost one of their last five. And probably the one that looked the easiest on paper is the one that they lost. The championship, let's be honest. But no, really impressive win for them at the weekend. And I mean, when you've got a striker in the form that Jerry Yates is in, you've got any chance of winning a game. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen that stat now. Jerry Yates has had more direct goal involvement. Nobody in the league has had more direct goal involvements than Jerry Yates so far this season. Up to 10 now, eight goals, two assists. I haven't seen that. That's very Josh good. Sargent is the only man that can match him for that record. So, you know, he's a man in form at the minute. Bearing in mind, two and a bit weeks ago, he'd only scored two. And three Saturdays in a row, he scored twice. So, he's obviously got a thing about playing on Saturdays at the minute. And, you know, when you've got a player like... most of Blackpool's games are going to be on Saturday. Didn't score in midweek, though, did he? Disgraceful. Mm, so, no, he's, he's looking good at the minute and, and Blackpool as a collective are looking good. I mean, the fact that, you know, prior to this run, they'd gone, you know, I think they'd only scored one goal in four games, but now they've scored 11 in their last four. So, they really are turning the heat up at just the right time with, you know, the World Cup pause coming. You don't want to head into that having been on a poor run because, you know, he's going to leave a, leave a bit of a damp, uh, damp atmosphere around the place. But, you know, they are beginning to go up to the gears now. But the mad thing is, they're only three points above the relegation zone, despite having had this really good run of results in recent weeks. So it's really strange. They're three points above the relegation zone, but they're only seven points off the playoffs, which proves just how mental this league is becoming this season. But no, a hell of a lot to like about them. Isn't it? Charlie Patino is looking really good. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from him. He looks a really tidy player, composed on the ball, took his goal well at the weekend, and Blackpool fans are certainly warming to him. But it goes back to the original point, doesn't it? That, you know, they had the, the blow of losing Neil Critchley in the summer. Michael Appleton was a bit of a a bit of a Marmite appointment, I think, in some ways. You either like him or you don't. He's had good points in his career and some really low points. But at the minute, in the last three or four weeks, I've seen quite a bit to, to like from Blackpool. And they're certainly improving. Their home form, minus that defeat to, to, to uh, Hull City in the week, is, is going up for the gears. So, you know... I think there's certainly a lot of promise. For Preston, a little bit of concern creeping in about them for me. That's three defeats in four now. That, you just uh, don't create anything from open play, do that you? Run, that run of clean sheets feels like a distant memory, really, even though they got one in the week at Huddersfield in that 1-0 win. But, you know, 
they're still struggling to score goals at a good rate. That is the problem for, for them, isn't it? We we know and a lot of the goals they do score are coming from set piece situations. Yeah. So Open it's always a, a concern. We can say it time and time again, can't we, that it's a problem for Preston. We know what the issues are. It's just a case of how quick can they resolve them. But three defeats in four, it, it is a little bit concerning. But there's a long, long way to go. Ryan Lowe, in the grand scheme of things, I think will be happy with the start they've made, as bizarre and as unique it's been. They're only four points off the playoffs, but they need to try and find a way to stop this little bit of a, a losing habit that's crept in recently. But I don't think there's any reason for mass panic yet, but it's obvious they need improvement in both boxes. Indeed, and what's better than one four two, George? Two four twos. And Rotherham United lost four two at home to Hull City in a all Yorkshire affair. Really good afternoon for Hull, who were by far the better side, and that was the view of both managers. Matt Taylor saying his side was second best all afternoon, which is not really what you want to hear, but it's been a decent week for Rotherham nonetheless. Nice moment for Jacob Greaves to get his first Hull City goal, which has been a quite a long wait when you think how many games he's played for them. Uh, Ryan Longman too, he's had a bit of a spell out the side, not really clicked for him since his January move was made permanent. Um, so nice for him to get on the score sheet. He's currently keeping Oscar Estupinan out of the side. And just a really good week for Hull City, who last weekend I'd have probably said with Huddersfield looked like the worst team in the Championship. But six points in a week can do a lot for your confidence. And they brought back some of the more experienced heads. Greg Doherty's come back into the side and Jake Cree's gone to left-back to put an extra centre-back in. And a few tweaks to make them a little bit more solid, a little bit more Championship-dependable, I would argue, without trying to sign two Brexit. And I think it's really helped them and I think it's helped them stop the rot. Still need a manager and a bit of direction, similar to West Brom. Don't have a clue who's the latest name being linked or what they're trying to do with that. But it's certainly taking its time. Wouldn't shock me if they decided to leave Andy Dawson in charge until the, the World Cup break, which I'm not a big fan of. Just get someone in, even if it gives them four games to help assess the squad even better before January. But they deserve the victory in this one. Some clinical finishing and they look more solid, which is something they just had to become because they were on an awful run of results. They were, weren't they? And let's be honest, what a few days it's been for them. Two away games and realistically two that you wouldn't have expected them to get anything from, such was, you know, Blackpool's good form recently and, and Rotherham's really good record at the New York Stadium. So to have played those two games, got six points, scored seven goals as well. It's remarkable just how quickly the picture can change. But like you said, for Hull City, it feels like almost they've they've kind of gone back to basics a little bit, brought some experienced heads back into the fold, looked a little bit more recognisable. You know, they've, they've had a sort of an identity to their play in the last couple of games. And watching the highlights of that win at Rotherham, there were some really nice goals in there. I thought the way that they, you know, created one, certainly Longman's, I thought that was a really nice build-up play. And, you know, two fans finished it off. And for Hull now, the, the challenge is, is like for them, like so many others, is trying to find some consistency. That is the challenge, what they've got to do. But it is so difficult in this league, especially with the games coming so relentlessly at such a fast pace. There's no time to breathe. But I agree with you. As good as you know, the last few days have been for Andy Dawson, let's not forget what preceded that. There were some pretty shocking displays in there. And they need a manager. They need a manager as soon as possible. They need somebody to come in galvanise the group because let's not forget at the start of the season Hull entered it you know as one of the 
outsiders for the playoffs, even though me and you did not, not agree with, with that matchup. We certainly didn't. We had them nearer the relegation zone than the top six, but a lot of people with the recruitment they had bringing, you know, big names in such as Seri and Ryan Woods, an experienced championship player, two fan came in as well, a Stupinan. You know, there is an expectancy there from the fans that they are going to, you know, have a decent season this year. But without somebody leading that, it's going to be hard to come by. And, you know, they need a manager quickly. It's, it's several weeks now since since they obviously um, showed the door to Avalazzi and things have got to change quickly. I appreciate owners these days want to take time, want to make sure the decision's right, but how long does it take? That is the question. But on the pitch, two brilliant, you know, away performances, two brilliant away victories, only four points above the drop zone, but at the same time, only six points off the playoffs. So, you know, it's incredibly bunched up, it's incredibly tight, but the thing for Hull is, above all else, they've got to get a new gaffer through the door as quickly as they can. Absolutely. Stoke City nil, Coventry City 2. Coventry are really ramping up the pressure on those teams that are struggling at the bottom because they are picking up points just as we thought they would. They've clicked into gear now. Six clean sheets in seven after pretty much seven games ago. I was saying how concerning their defensive record was and how it was unlike Coventry after last season. Well, six clean sheets in seven, only one goal conceded. Another strong away win, as they did at Cardiff recently as well. And... Gustavo Harm is showing that why what showing why on his day he is one of the best players in the championship, quite simply. Difference maker in this one. Brilliant assist for, for the opener. And then a terrific goal where he could have he could have gone down under the challenge, but he rides it. Tenacity, adrenaline, pumping, fires it into the corner. Brilliant finish, natural quality, sort of stuff you can't really teach. They got Callum O'Hare back on the pitch too. Brilliant, brilliant weak run of results for Coventry and for teams like West Brom, Hull City, Blackpool. The reason why they're not really going anywhere or why there's been some concern is because Coventry are now picking up points. And funnily enough, if Coventry were to win their three games in hand, which I know is quite unlikely to win all three of those games in hand, they would be just outside the playoff places. It just goes to show, doesn't it, how quickly things can change in this league. But let's be honest, Coventry... We said at the very start of the season when obviously they had the, the problems of not being able to play their home games. They were having fixtures obviously postponed, having to play away every single week. We never once doubted them that they wouldn't get out of this at all. And, you know, they're still in the drop zone at the minute, but they've got three games in hand directly on Wigan, Cardiff, Middlesbrough above them. You know, Coventry are going to stay up. It never once crossed my mind that they wouldn't. They've got the quality. They've got a brilliant manager. They've been on an upward spiral over the last few years, you know, as the clubs progress from League Two to League One, Championship. And, you know, with the, the games in hand they've got, is a playoff push out of the question? I don't, I don't think it could be. I think they've certainly got the quality to give it a go. I think there's teams, you know, higher up the ladder currently that are not as good as Coventry. But to go to Stoke and get a solid away 2-0 win, that is a really, really good win. And Gustavo Heyman, like you said, was central to it. Obviously, he's been out of the side recently because of that suspension. Came back in and then was just so important to that win of the weekend. The goal was just sublime. It was absolutely superb. You know, anybody would be proud of that. And that's the, the ability that he's got on the ball, isn't it? To drive forward from midfield, take a man on and then bend a shot in like that. Superb. But, you know, Coventry, they've got a game in midweek. One of those games in hand. Rotherham at home. I fancy Coventry to win that. I really do. I think, you know, it's one of those games that they should be winning with, 
You know, no disrespect to Rotherham, their away record, obviously this season hasn't been the best. So I quite fancy Coventry. And if they win that, you know, they could rise all the way up to 17th. What a jump that would be, given there's only two midweek games this week. So, you know, Mark Robbins has got Coventry in a good place. The, the defensive record's been unbelievable recently. It really has. Six clean sheets in seven. That is, you know, quite spectacular. And the only team to breach them uh, a brilliant Burnley side. So you can't begrudge them at all. So things looking really good, really promising. And, you know, never once doubted that Coventry won't turn it around because they've got the quality, they've got the experience. And I think they'll only continue to climb the league as the weeks go by. And perhaps the biggest boost for Coventry was the sight of Callum O'Hare being back on the pitch, came on as a late substitute. So great to see him back on the pitch. Weird week for Stoke City. No goals and two home defeats, just as we thought they were turning a bit of a, co- a corner. A bit confusing, if we're being honest. And finally, Reading 2, Bristol City nil. Reading back to winning ways after four without a triumph. Disappointing midweek collapse at Swansea, where they were 2-0 up. Lost 3-2 late on. So they'll be delighted to get this win and a clean sheet to boot with quite a few defensive injuries as well hampering them. So they'll be even more delighted to have kept a shutout. Goals from Loom and then Andy Carroll in stoppage time to round off a, a very much deserved victory because Bristol City were, were pretty abject and they have been for a couple of months now. They, they offer nothing offensively. And when you've got the league's worst defence with 26 goals conceded already, then you're going to be on the back foot. And, they just seem to have fallen off a cliff offensively and haven't got any better defensively. And that was the only thing that was getting them points, really, was that attack. They've changed it around. They dropped Andy Vyman at the weekend, tried to go free in midfield. Certainly didn't help their creative output and still just as poor as defensively. Um, so big concern for Bristol City and a really good win for Reading after that midweek disappointment. Yeah, definitely. It was the ideal way for them to bounce back, wasn't it, after losing at Swansea in the manner that they did on Tuesday night when obviously they were 2 nil up and, and blew it. So for Paul Ince, that'll be the perfect response that he could have wished for. And, you know, it just keeps that really healthy home run going, doesn't it? And, you know, a majority of us this season tip ready to be in deep trouble. And I don't think they will be now. I think they've managed to, you know, keep things up long enough to prove that they aren't going to be in serious trouble down the bottom end of the table this season. They're only a point worse off than Sheffield United, who have been waxing lyrical off. They're a point outside the playoff places. They've won half of their games. You know, the only thing that will disappoint Ballings is the fact that they've lost seven. But, you know, Blackburn have lost seven and they're, you know, in second place. So it swings and roundabouts at the minute. But, you know, it's the ideal way to bounce back. Joint top, that's that's one that I'm not going to be uh, hearing the end of any time soon, is it? He says with a smile. But no, I think, let's be honest, Reading, I'll be honest, I'll own up. And I did say that I thought Paul Lynch would be the first manager to get the boot this season. I really didn't understand the logic in sticking with him. A bit longer serving manager in Championship in about a week. He will be. <laughs> Things are going. He's not got far to go now, is he? Probably, to be fair to him. But, you know, they obviously lost three in a row prior to Saturday. But Bristol City, with all due respect, they must have nothing in that game. They didn't create barely a single thing. They were really poor, really abject. So really a very routine and simple win for Reading. But you've got to get the job done. And they did that. So, uh, you know, onwards and upwards for them. But a couple of big away games to come. Burnley and Watford back-to-back away from home up next. Two draws in the Championship. Sheffield United again with an absolute thriller of a match at Bramall Lane. Two all against Norwich. I watched, I don't know how Sheffield United didn't win 3-2 and lose 4-0. 
Well, I don't know. They, I feel like they should have simultaneously won three two and lost four nil because there was it was so open. They, they, I mean, Norwich raced ahead, obviously getting two in front. Some horrid goalkeeping from Adam Davis, and then some horrid defending from John Egan, who's someone with you know who's been one of the best in the championship. Really bad errors. Egan looked very poor against Pukki for that second goal, which again seemed to trickle past Davis really, who cocked up for the first. But then Sheffield United threw everything at them in the second half, equalised. Then Adam Davies saves a penalty from Timu Puki, which was a really bad penalty. Then Ollie McBurney could have won it in the last minute. It was a game that had absolutely everything. Again, after the free all against Blackpool, you know, just just mental what's going on at Sheffield United at the minute with all the injuries as well. Reese Norrington Davies has got a long-term problem now, so that's another one on the list, as just as they were getting a couple back. And then Middlesbrough nil, Huddersfield nil, a much-needed clean sheet for both teams, particularly Huddersfield. I do think Middlesbrough probably should have had a penalty. Tom Lee's lucky to get away with a foul on Duncan Watmore. Maybe a little bit soft, but I think that could have been a penalty when you see see it back and look where the contact is on his foot. He definitely stands on his foot. But after another defeat in midweek for Huddersfield and how atrocious they've been, they just got to stop the rot and still think they're the worst team in the Championship right now, which is a concern. And, and with Coventry picking up points, West Brom surely going to head in the right direction at some point. They could get cut adrift. So they, they desperately it's need not more. looking perf- good, is it? No, they need more performances like this where they're going to pick up points. Same for Middlesbrough after a good win in, in the week. Bit of a missed opportunity to, to get two on the board and still waiting for Michael Carrick to be permanently appointed as their manager. But... As the wait goes on, that is the end of this weekend's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Shots and bankers, George, to round things off. First time this month, for me anyway, that I haven't got a midweek game with Blackburn Rovers because there's only two Championship games going on rather than a full slate. So we are looking ahead to the following weekend as always, but no midweek games to have to contemplate with our predictions. What are you going for? Well, I've, I've, you know, I found it a little bit difficult for this coming weekend. To be honest, I think there's quite a few I possibly would have gone for. But in terms of a banker for this weekend, I'm going to go with Coventry to continue their good run at home to Blackpool. You know, to be fair, Blackpool have been good themselves recently. But I just fancy Coventry at the minute with the way they're being so solid defensively and seemingly, of course, going up through the gears. So I'm going to go for Coventry as my banker. But in terms of my shock, I'm going to go quite brave, and I'm going to go for West Brom to beat Sheffield United. Perhaps they could have a new man in the dugout by then. Could be, you know, be the, the old manager bounce coming into effect. But just got a sneaky feeling. Sheffield United, of course, continuing to stumble as well. Just got a sneaky suspicion that if Carlos Corbrand's in the dugout in the uh, Saturday lunchtime kickoff, that West Brom might spring a surprise. So I'm going to go for Coventry as my banker for this weekend and West Brom as my shock. I'm going to go for two completely different games. I'm going for Burnley to beat Reading at home as my banker for pretty obvious reasons. Reading's home form has been very good. Their away form not quite as good, albeit not atrocious. Burnley seem to be scoring for fun at the moment in particular, having scored eight goals in the last two games. So I'm going for them as my banker and my shock. I'm going for Birmingham to win at QPR, which is the Friday night game, the league leaders. Um, I was impressed with Birmingham at the weekend. I thought they were very good. I think they deserved a draw against Blackburn. They're a good side under John Eustace. Bielik, quality operator. Chong gives them some flair in the final third. Hannibal didn't play against uh, Blackburn, came on as a sub, but that was because of fitness rather than anything. And it had a, a pretty hectic schedule, so he could come back in at QPR. And I could just see them maybe causing upsets on, in transition on counter-attacks. So I'm going to go with Birmingham to beat QPR as my shock and Burnley to beat Reading as my banker. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. 
Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your pods from and the latest episode will drop every single week. If you do enjoy the pod, share with a friend. You know, the more listeners we can get, the better. So uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, let us know, drop a review, send it to a mate. really does help to, to get more listeners involved and, and as many people listening to the pod as possible. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well, at ChampChadPod24. Huge thanks to our sponsors, as always, Cards Accepted for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out for any of your business needs. And thank you for listening once again. We'll catch you again for another episode next week of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.